Welcome to the Lighthouse Experiment, a Freedom Center Church podcast. Welcome back to the Lighthouse Experiment, everybody. So great to have you all back. Tonight, we have a wonderful guest, Captain Brandon Smith, and yours truly, Ashley Chandler and Jim Parkin, of course. So welcome back. What is up? Well, thanks for coming in on short notice, first of all. I saw another buddy of mine shared this long post the other day. I'm an Army veteran. November, we're going into Veterans Day. You know, So I wanted to kind of focus on veterans this month. But then I saw this post where this dude actually posted his suicide note. Did he really? Yeah, he's like, it. you saw it? Yeah, he's I saw just, he's, he's thanking all these people, all these other, you know, military brothers, his family, and all this other stuff. And then, then that was posted. I saw a couple of people say they tried reaching out to him. But so, you know, kind of weighed heavy. So I wanted to go into this month talking with veterans about veterans and, what we can do better. So I made a post on Facebook and here we are. Here we are. So how long ago was that? That was then somebody sharing their testimony of like, Hey, I was going to do this. And then I did this. It was somebody that actually just posted a suicide note on social media. Uh Wow. Essentially. I think that's how that is. That's how I read it. At least. That's how I read it too. It was, uh, I think it was just a couple days ago too. Yeah. I don't know. It was just a couple days ago that the post kind of went viral, I guess, but yeah, I saw it. On, I think I actually saw it when you shared it. When I might have read it, um, yeah, it was uh, it was truly heartbreaking. And you know, I've noticed that that it's not. I don't think all that wildly talked about, but uh, veteran suicide is up during since COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, one more a day is substantial enough to talk about, but it's up significantly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was reading uh, some stats yesterday. It's almost up 20% since COVID started, since the pandemic really did and things like that. And it was those numbers. I mean, the numbers, like you said, are one more is, is more is too many. Um, yeah. But watching the numbers increase during this last, during this time period, it's just a staggering figure. Um, right. And it's, I think that might only even been just 20% in the Army. There's a couple other service branches that didn't discuss their numbers. Okay. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's risen dramatically, um, and it's not talked a lot about. I mean, every, you know, everybody talks about veteran suicide at 22 a day and, you know, right. the, the challenges and all that stuff. But, like, you're right, Jim, they haven't really talked about the numbers since COVID hit. Um, and it, you know, got to get to the bottom of it and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Right. And so what's interesting is how long have you been out of the military? I'm. Uh, it'll be... Four, well, I got off. I got off active duty. It'll be four years this December. Um, but I went this last February. I actually signed up with the Air National Guard, so I was out for about three years, and then I decided I hadn't had enough of military <laughs> service, so I figured I'd jump right back right. because I didn't have enough on my plate at the time. And uh, I actually went in the, the Air National Guard this time. So, but I did ten years active. Got out. I'll be off active duty for be four years on Christmas, actually. Okay. okay. Since we're on it, will you share just a little bit about where you've come from with like getting into the service and can you share yes. a little bit about that? Absolutely. So, I mean, I grew up in Michigan. I was born and raised here in Grand Blanc. Uh, and from a young age, I mean, I always, I had three career goals. It was be a cop, a firefighter, and be in the military, specifically awesome. the Army. 
And I actually joined the fire department in Grand Lake, uh, in when I was 19-ish, 18, 19-ish. Did that until I was about 23. Uh, and I joined the Army and served all over. I was in Korea, Hawaii, Texas, Maryland. Went to Afghanistan in 2013. Um, and I got out again, you know, there was always that goal of being a police officer and, uh, and I knew that's what I wanted to do when I get out, but trying to figure out those steps to do it when I got out was kind of, it was a little dicey because there's not, there's not a roadmap for us when we transition out of the military. Right. You know, you go to like this two week long class and they teach you to write resumes and, and create your LinkedIn profile and say, okay, here you go. You know, and that, that was pretty much it. Um, but I joined the sheriff's office in kind of sheriff's office be four years ago this April. Um, working in the jail currently. I'm actually in the police academy right now, which is on hold for COVID. Okay. Uh, but we're supposed to go back here pretty soon. Um, so once I graduate from there, I'll be a certified police officer and actually be working either in the courts or on the road. Uh, and then working, as Jim said earlier, I'm the captain of the Grand Lake City Fire Department. Uh, we started that up about a year ago when the fire department split. So we hit the ground running with that. So and again, like I said, about a year ago almost, I joined the Air National Guard because between the sheriff's office and the fire department stuff, I decided I didn't have enough to do. So I went and signed back up in the military and um, because it was a thing that I felt like I wasn't finished with and yes. I wanted to keep, keep doing it. But I uh, decided to go for the airports at the time instead of the Army. <laughs> I don't. So it's, it's interesting, too, because were you like post 9-11 Army or yes. were you in? No, okay. post 9-11 Army. I joined the Army in August of 2006. Okay. okay. So it, it's super interesting to me because I was in the army from 90 until 96. Okay. So while during basic and AIT, Desert Shield went to Desert Storm mm -hmm. and then was just over just that quick. And then a couple other little things like Mogadishu that happened and stuff like that. But there was not like a high profile war going on. Mm -hmm. So I'm in this generation of guys that went in and got out and kind of faded away. You know, it was like promotion points were super hard to come by. Yep. You know, I was six years. I made it to corporal twice. I got busted <laughs> down once, but, but it was super hard. Like we were doing these stupid, so stupid, uh, like correspondence courses. Yep. To, and you'd get like, I think like five or 10 promotion points at a time, you know, and it was just, super hard but like i said then when we transitioned out it was just bye-bye like yeah. turning your gear sign here see you later you know and even for that it is a super hard transition going to try to be a civilian again after any amount of time you know in the military in the service it's just different like i felt like all the the salesmanship of you know this is what employers are looking for and then I got out and they're like, oh, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> you know, so, it's, just, it's, yeah, it's kind it's of like, a ruthless I, game. It's a ruthless world out there. It's like everybody's yeah. just kind of trying to get in the door, you know? And I mean, there's such extensive training when you join the military. And then I feel like in a lot of ways, there's the stark opposite of that where there's hardly anything. And so you're just, it's unreal to me to think about how that all works as far as the transitions. So. Well, and that's the thing too, is, you know, when you join, you know, obviously, you know, it, recruiters have certain jobs that they have more of, they would like to fill and stuff like that. And, 
you know, in like Jim said, I mean, it's, you know, you do get the salesmanship of, oh yeah, when you get out, everybody loves veterans. They want to hire veterans. And it is better now post 9-11 than it was yeah. before. It, it's a lot better. Um, but they don't tell you, you know, for the guys that go in to be, you know, um, 88 mics with their truck drivers, they don't tell you that, okay, when you get out, like there's guys that can just go to a truck driving school right down the road and whatever else. And they may not have some other issues like that. Or, you know, be a petroleum guy, which, you know, they don't tell you that that's really not going to help. They're like, oh, yeah, people love to hire veterans, but they don't tell you that those jobs don't really equate to things right. when you got out. Right. You know, I mean, I, I was fortunate because uh, I was in, in I was in intelligence when I was in. So that kind of helped a little bit. And again, with the post 9-11 veterans, it is a lot. The opportunities are a little bit more there than they were before. Like, that's actually how I made it in the sheriff's office because the requirements were either have your degree be a certified corrections officer already or be a veteran. Okay. That's how I got in was okay. being a veteran. Um, but there's not a lot of, there's some out there that do it. There's, you know, there's, I think they publish a list uh, every couple of months of veteran friendly employers. Um, but you got to remember, you know, all these service members getting off active duty, those are the same service members that are applying to those same service member or veteran friendly organizations. And a lot of guys or people, when they get out, they go home. Right. And a lot of these companies that are veteran friendly, they're not necessarily in your home state. So then you have to make the decision. Do you want to go home or do you want to go where that, you know, those companies are? Like when I got out, I was a Intel guy and my last duty station was in Maryland. Well, all of the giant Intel agencies, you know, government run or contractor run are all right there in the Maryland and DC area or back in Texas. And it's like, well, I knew I wanted to come home. So trying to find something that did fit to my specific skill set in Michigan just wasn't there. You know? So but I wanted to be a cop anyway, so it worked out. But yeah. But I'm one of you know, but that happens to a lot of people. They gotta figure out if they do actually want to come home or go to where those jobs are. And if they're tired of moving around, they spend any time in the military, they may not want to. They figure they want to come <laughs> home and be back with family, be close to what's um, comfortable and the things that they remember. So like when I got out, that was the thing, right? I think when I got out, I was at Fort Lewis okay. or Lewis McCord. I was just going to stay there. And like the first thing I did, first civilian job was in a door factory. <laughs> and like, it was like the worst thing ever. I've, I've told this story, I think on the podcast before, but like, I didn't know what, what overtime meant. Cause mm -hmm. I was like, the army was my first big kid job. I'd like delivered pizzas, whatever, went in the military. And then I come out and I, like, I didn't understand. I thought what normal to me was you just kept working. You just kept going. <laughs> it was like five days later, whatever. We just, if that's the mission, we just keep doing it. And then they'd come around well, you got to work overtime. And I'd be like, I don't even know what that means. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> but then also too, what I couldn't wrap my head around is these guys were, were drinking a ton, like on lunch, they were like lining up giant rails of cocaine. <laughs> and, like, <sighs> and then the day I quit there is because the, the shop foreman told me that I needed to get with a program. Like, and then basically insinuated that I must be some sort of narc because I wasn't going to shove cocaine up my nose. So I quit. <laughs> and then, and it was like, then it was no like way. job to job to job. Oh yeah. And I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And you're so making, finally, Mr. Parkin, you're making the rest of us look like <laughs> jerks. <laughs> we need you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. 
I just like I walked off the thing. <laughs> it, it was the weirdest, but then <laughs> nothing seemed to fit. And then moved to Michigan. Same thing. I'm still just doing these silly little trying to make ends meet jobs. And then I joined Grambling Fire, and my actual date of like where he's it was Chief Harms when he's assigning me. Yeah. Like what station I'd run out of, giving me all the gear, mm-hmm. setting me up with the academy. And the same time, we were listening to to New York City, and he was on the phone seeing if the USAR team was going to go to the pile and do all this other stuff. Yeah. And he was like, I'm super excited. And at the same time, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like, you know, and my military mindset, I was like, well, I don't see any, like, skyscrapers and crambling. So I, I reckon we'll be okay. Right. But, but that was it. You know, I got back into that kind of service thing and then EMT paramedic. And it's been like all told with the fire and EMS side, I think 20 something years at least. You know, and that's, and that, and that's the thing too, is a lot of service when they get out, that is part of the struggle. And that's some stuff that, you know, that isn't necessarily talked about. Right. So everybody, we talk about PTSD a lot, which is obviously very important. I mean, it, that is a huge yeah. issue. Um, and that needs to be addressed as well. But there's, uh, and I've heard the term kicked around a couple times, it's post-transition stress. Mm-hmm. And, and it happens to a lot of service members because they do, you know, from the time, you, from the day you show up to basic training, <clears throat> you're, so, you're told what to expect of you, where to be, what time, where you fit in the hierarchy, whether you matter it or not, you know, stuff like that. And then but everything is done for you. I mean, the military tells you how to do everything, from how to tie your boots to how to fly a helicopter. You know what I mean? It's, it's all there. And then when you get out, you don't have that anymore. You don't have that structure anymore. And service members, whether we like to admit it or not, we're like children. We like to have a structure. You know what I mean? Like We like yeah. to have our structure, know where we fit in the puzzle, yeah. and to kind of know where we fit in the mix of things. And when you get back out into the civilian world, that's not always there, especially if you kind of go into the private sector. That's why a lot of us do go into first responders, whether it's police, fire, EMS, um, stuff like that, because it's it's still kind of there. You still get that scene. And that's the other thing we search for is a sense of service when we get out. Yeah. So that's why we transition to those roles because you know we're still serving a purpose other than ourselves, you know, greater than ourselves. And there's still that structure there. While and you know, depending on, you know, obviously very organizational organizations, how lax it is or how whatever, but um, but even then, <clears throat> once you step into those roles, it can even be a struggle then too, because you're like, okay, well, I'm in this role that's supposed to have this structure and hierarchy, and this is my sergeant, lieutenant, captain, you know, whatever, fire chief, you know, however you want to look at it. But it's still not the same. It's still not the same as military leadership and right. how they view things and how they look at things and how they treat you and how you treat them and stuff like that. So a lot of us, and I, I know personally, I've stood back and going, wait a minute. I remember when I was a leader in the army, like that would not fly. Like that's not how I would have handled that situation. But I have to step yeah. back and remember that that's not always the way it's going to be. It's not, you know, that's not always the case. Um, not everybody has had those experiences and it's, it's tough because we're looking to our leaders and I'm not just talking about any particular leaders in general. I'm just speaking in for specifically yeah. speaking in general. <laughs> we look to our leaders and we're like, Hey, listen, this is like our mindset, how we view how leaders should be. And for whatever reason, if they don't meet that standard, we kind of stand back and go, well, what are you doing? Like, this is how yeah. it, we always think we can do it better than the other guy. Oh, for oh. sure. 
We always if, think we can do it better. If you were to if you were to meet my husband, if you were to meet Nick, we we joke that like his personality on the disc and everything, he's the guy that walks into a room and his first question is, Who's in charge? And yep. the second question is, Are they doing it right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's very true too, because like I, I'm in some ways I'm living that out now. You know, we, there's there's leadership in in my agency and, and but it's still the chain of command. Yep. And I, that is however many years later, I got a 96 all these years later, I'm still wired that, you know, whatever I think there's still the chain of command. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And like our bosses have like the, the VP of our companies open door policy. If you need anything, just come to me. And I just can't, mm-hmm. I can't, if it's, if I can achieve it, then. So a lot of times I'm reaching these roadblocks because I'm going to the, the guy above me and nothing's happening and I'm giving him every opportunity because sometimes it's dudes that have been doing it less, like way, way more, way fewer years than I have. And I'm like, well, I'm going to give them the opportunity and not just, you know, correct them <laughs> in front of everybody. But it's just, it's weird. It's, and I think, you know, kind of wrapping it back around with being a veteran and stuff like that is, is it never goes away. Nope. It never goes away. And like talking to our pastor, talking to pastor Jim, he was, he didn't necessarily have a great experience. And it was like the eighties into the nineties. He was an MP and he, he'll tell me that not all of his memories are great. Like hoorah brotherhood memories. Yeah. But, he said there's an interesting dynamic and I want to see if you have it too, where you, you constantly like you, maybe you're on Facebook and you'll, you'll remember a guy's name. I'm going to look and see if this guy, what's he doing? Like I've done that recently with like former captains and, and Sergeant majors and stuff like that. In my case, any generals or anybody higher than that has probably passed on, but you know, but it's just, it's just, it's very interesting to go back and, for like pastor Jim was saying, he doesn't even know why in -hmm. most cases he didn't like those guys, but every once in a while, there's still that connection we hold on to. Even if those, they weren't necessarily the good old days, but it was just that it just becomes such a part of you. So ingrained into how you look at things and, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, I, I definitely do it. It's uh, because like you said, I mean, it's, it is ingrained in you and it's, you know, at some point or another, whether you care for those particular individual leaders or whatever, you're still part of a shared, at some point, a shared misery, right? So right. whether you agree with that person, you still have that kind of that trauma bond there, right? I mean, it's most like, <laughs> yeah. let, me, let me see what this person's up to. I do it too. I mean, there's, I, I'm like, I'm friends on Facebook with a few um, former captains and first sergeants of mine and stuff like that and um, former leaders. But I have gone back and looked at, you know what? I remember this guy did X, Y, and Z when he was my platoon sergeant, wherever. Let me see what he's up to. Oh, his life fell apart. Okay, well, <laughs> all right. Oh, no. I don't feel good about it, but at the same time, you know, karma comes around, I guess. You know, I don't know. But I do, I do with it. And even some people that I may have met in passing, you know, throughout my service, I still go and look them up from time to time, too, just to see how they're doing and see if they're still in um, or right. if they got out and if they did get out. You know, trying to have a conversation and find out why, find out what the reasons were. And, but it is definitely there. And it, it is, it is like you said, it, it, it's odd, it's hardwired that we want to know whether we got along with them or not, what they're doing. 
if right. they're doing all right in life and how they're doing. And like, I still have two of my really good friends uh, to this day. I mean, we still talk, I'd say at least weekly. You guys I was in San Antonio with, and uh, we affectionately refer to ourselves as the four horsemen. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, we're always checking on each other. And the one guy's a warrant officer now, the other one's a recruiter. And obviously I'm out and we still bounce, like we still bounce ideas off each other. That's cool. Right. When it comes to the army, and you know, it's funny because I've been out for almost four years now, but they'll still text me or call me and be like, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing this next in my career. What do you think?" That's cool. Well, dude, I've been out. I'm out of. I've been out of the loop for four years. Like, I don't, you know, I don't right. know what promotion points look like now. I don't know what the senior NCO promotions look like. But to have people that you trust, to have people that you've built that level of trust with, that you know yeah. that you could like trust their decision-making type things, or at least give you some insight of how to make those decisions or what things to consider. I mean, I don't know. I think that the more along we get on in life, it is interesting to see how people make decisions and how they take on those major decisions of our life, how they get through hardships, how they get through grief, how they get through like family and marriage and all those things. And it is very interesting to see how people are driven, what drives people, and how people choose to grow and heal and change for better or for worse, you know? So I don't know when you have people that you trust and you know that you can, you have that. I, I don't think that there's necessarily a time difference that you could put on that, you know? Yeah, yeah that's true. Absolutely. So what, what can we do as like a veteran community? Can we do better when we talk about veteran suicide and because we do, we have that thing. We have that, like you mentioned, that trauma bond thing. Mm-hmm. Or like now where the outside world, where it appears that like my partner and I are there to save the day for you, depending on the situation, what it really is, is we're making sure each other gets home. Right. Now, kind of that ipso facto, we saved your life and we got you to the hospital. But really, you know, and that's how the, that's how the military is. Mm-hmm. People, we use fighting for yours, ours, my freedom is a, is great marketing. But the fact is we're really just fighting for the guy that's in, that's right next to us. So with that said, is it like us as veterans that are failing each other? Somehow is that little, is that bond breaking and guys just check out? You know, I don't, I don't know if it's so much that, well, I would say, yes, we are feeling it, you know, because it'd be easy to blame the military itself, be easy to blame, you know, VA or whatever and stuff like that. But, you know, and obviously there's been a bigger push in recent years because suicide rates have risen. But I do believe that it's it's us failing our brothers and sisters. Um, and it, it starts right here. But what we're doing right now, having this conversation. And right. talking about it. And that's what they would say. I'll talk about it. If you're feeling suicidal, just reach out, talk to somebody and stuff like that. Right. Um, that's always the bid that's been part of the big push. But we don't like to talk about it. We don't <laughs> like to have those conversations. Right. We want to talk about it because what are we always taught? Suck it up, drive on, drink water, take mm-hmm. some curtain, you'll be fine. Right. Right. Just dig deep and you'll be all right. Yeah. You know, and it's, and so it's, and we don't like to show because again, we can't. We can't show that sign of weakness to our brothers and sisters because they need to know we're always taught and trained to believe that we can depend on that person to our right or to our left, no matter what. So if I stand there and say, hey, I'm suicidal, hey, I'm struggling, we have that 
we're hardwired that that means I'm going to let my team down. That means that right. they can't count on me. And then I don't want them to ever feel like they can't count. On me. But if you take yourself out of the equation and you do commit suicide, then that part of the team has gone already anyway. So why right. not take that step back, deal with that trauma or that struggle that's going on. So you can be a strong member of the team. And I think that right. it all starts with conversations and we have to figure out a way to, to wade through the, the machismo of it, right? And the yeah. the taboo of it and just have those hard conversations. I mean, it's, and they're going to be tough. They're going to be harder for some than they are others. You know, we all deal right. with stress in the military and getting out or um, things that maybe necessarily you had to do or saw while you were deployed or whatever, or things that you dealt with and different leadership roles and stuff like that. And it, it's trying to find that common ground and, because nobody wants to start the conversation. You put, you could put two to hundred veterans in a room. That conversation will never be brought up. That topic will never be brought up. We will talk about everything else. We will talk about a PT test that we took when we first went to basic training before we talk about what's really bothering us. But if you start the conversation, if somebody mentions it and says, Hey, you know what? And they relate it to their own personal experience and stand up and say, Hey, I've been dealing with this. I've been struggling with this. You'll start to see it. It'll start to bounce around the room. And you'll start right. to see the look on their faces and say, hey, you know what? I dealt with something similar. Maybe not have been the same thing, but let me go ahead and talk to this guy. Because that's not only will it get the issue out there and show service or show veterans and even you know active duty members or whatever that that link is there. It will also do the other part, which will give us a mission, which is what we so much crave. Cool. And we're right. helping out our buddies and we're helping out our friends. We're helping out our battle buddies or our fellow airmen, sailors, whatever. And it doesn't matter right. once we get out while you serve in the Navy, we might joke around a little bit. But at the end of the day, if that former Navy person is struggling or Marine or whatever, I'm still going to be there helping them just as much as I would an Army right. veteran. Yeah. Or an Army veteran. So it, it starts with that conversation. You have to be willing to somebody stand up in the middle of the room and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. I'm really struggling. Can you guys help? And right. It'll, it'll spark from there because we have, we are as a community, as a veteran community, we are the ones poised to fix it. It's on us. It's not up to right. the government. It's not up to the VA. I mean, you know, they can have the mental, and I'm not saying if you should not go to mental health, if you know, services, if you're struggling, you should not see a therapist if you're struggling. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but at the end of the day, you can have all the classes on it. You can, you can have all of this, but until people really start getting the heart of the matter of talking about it and what's causing those issues and that stress, and it's going to be different for everybody. I mean, you know, like I said, we can relate on some, but until you start having those conversations, that number is going to continue to decline. Right. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of, it flips this, the, the whole conversation flips into the first responder community as well. Because I, you know, like I said, this month is, is veterans month, but you know what, what police is going through right now. You know, like what, and, and all told, you know, I'm, I was just talking to a nurse friend of mine and we came to the agreement that this uptick in COVID just seems to be a lot heavier this time. Yeah. You know, it just for, well, I can't explain why, but it just seems to be the first time it was so, it was like, you know, we, we kind of assumed this combat posture mm-hmm. and how we're going to deal with it. And now it's just, now it's just different. You know, and so first responder world is 
getting weighed down by that, you know, and it's so the conversation, like you said, is just something I think it, it's on us to have it. Not really. I know for me personally, there's, there's doctors I've been, well, doctors I've been sent to, to be able to go back in service, you know, yeah. when I be involved in a call and they kind of put me on the shelf. But what I would rather have done is just talk to somebody like me mm-hmm. who's been through it before, yeah. you know, not somebody who's written, written, maybe read, done clinical time, but right. you know, so, yeah. which is why we started this, this whole thing, this, the podcast and the organization, but. Well, and I, and I think being able to go to somebody who's walked that way already I know for myself, the question I'm really trying to get answered is, am I going to get through this? Am I going to be okay? You know, year, a couple decades ago, mental health was, you know, it, if you were struggling a certain way or things happened or you had trauma, it was more understood that that was just now permanently the way that you're going to be. Yeah. And I think that a lot of folks, there's so much more understanding now. There's so much more research that the brain does change and repair itself and there is so much the more that people understand the fact that the brain has such an ability to do the same as well and that they're not a lost cause a lost hope that they're that there is so much more that they can do and gain in whatever they're struggling with I think that it's just harder because it's not a tangible hey you blew your knee out this is the protocol this is the steps of recovery it's so much more to the person with trauma and mental health and, and all that jazz that it's just a harder, harder thing to navigate. Um, so I, I think, I think people need to look at it differently. They need to understand it a a little bit bigger and understand that there's a lot, they're not a lost cause. There's a lot of hope out there and, and just being open to that is a big part of it. I think. Well, you know, that's the thing too is, you know, it, you know, right, wrong, or different, or whether you plan it or not, we're different, right? Yeah. I mean, it, we're not the same people who are left. And sometimes that's that's the point in going, right? Is you want to be different and you want to do something different, so you join the military. But we're different. You know, it's our obviously our family still knows us and they still love us and our friends that we had from before. But we're not the same person that we were when we left. Right. So, and we convince ourselves that they won't understand, that they don't get it. Whereas just because I had military experience, you know, somebody that was in the first responder world who may never serve in the military, they've had similar experiences. They understand it too. And we, that's where we need to make those connections. Like you guys are trying to do here, make those connections. Because while this person who may have been a police officer for 20 years or whatever, they may not have served in the military, but they've gone through trauma. They've gone through stress and anxiety and, yeah. you know, that worry and that, that fear of isolation and, um, and I think, again, like I said, that's that's one of the things is we do feel isolated because well, nobody's going to understand me. My family doesn't get it. My friends don't get it. None of my Army buddies are here. None of my Marine buddies are here. You know, that's so they're the only ones that would understand. But we also, again, we don't want to take that first step and reach out and have that conversation. So, you know, you get a group of like-minded individuals together, um, whether they're veterans or first responders or whatever, that's you'll, you'll start to see that dynamic grow and start to change because we can you know, all kind of share in our misery, I guess, you know, <laughs> share in kind of our shared experiences and trauma. And that, that, I mean, that's how you do it. I mean, that's, that's how you build it. And <clears throat> that's how you bridge the gap between the services that are supposed to be offered and that are, are there to what's actually on the ground 
and the work being done is, you know, it's, it all starts with us, whether it's yeah. veterans or first responders or whatever. I mean, it, we all have to do it together. Right on. Well, that was brilliant. So we're going to just leave there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very passionate about this. If you can't tell. And it was honestly the whole reason, you know, I'm, this is, obviously this is a, a church organization, but for us, when I was putting it together and kind of founding it, the idea was, you know, there's people that, that won't come to church like big church mm-hmm. because they have that feeling. Like I can't, I have that feeling to this day and I've been going to this church for six something years mm-hmm. where there's certain things that I'll see during a week. I'm just not going to, you know, and it, I've been accused of it possibly being a little bit arrogant on my part, but just the <laughs> idea that I don't want to share certain things. Cause I don't, and you know, you know how it goes. I don't think yeah. civilians or these people are ready to hear it. No. So then we started putting this together. The idea being two parts for like-minded military and first responder people, folks to get together and be able to have safe kind of community, but also for civilians to come in and be around us and understand that while, yeah, we are quite a bit different, you know, we aren't, are also not completely off, you know, off the reservation evil. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. We haven't well, completely uh, lost it. Right. And well, and I would say from that regard, like Nick, both Nick's brothers have served in the military, but Nick has not. Um, and I have grandfathers that have, but none of my brothers did and I have not. And so just because, so I would say from the civilian standpoint is that just because I don't have that understanding, that experience doesn't mean I'm afraid of it. Doesn't mean I'm afraid of having conversations and doesn't mean that I don't want to do everything I can to be there for my friends and family that have served in whatever capacity I can be. Cause maybe I help you be more civilian and normal, you know what I mean? In in that regard. And nobody will see the air quotes that I just did because this is a podcast, but you know what I mean? Like, I think that we are supposed to bridge that gap and you're supposed to have both sides of that bridge. And so whatever capacity, I know that there's, there's, there are those of us that don't understand, but we are not afraid of what you would have to say. It doesn't scare us. And it might, it might grieve me in a way that I wouldn't have understood or known before. It, would, it might be hard to hear it, but the alternative would be to leave you alone and darken it. And that's not acceptable to me. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, yep. it's, it's, there's that too. So. Will you do it all over again, Jim? Military? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All of it, like the whole career. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do anything else. Yeah. And that, you know, that's the funny thing too, is that we'll, we'll talk about, you know, because obviously we all have our issues with whatever service we were in or whatever else, but I guarantee you, again, get a room full of veterans that has to do it all over again, and they would, you know. I mean, it's uh, kind of a funny thing because we will be the biggest proponents of railing against it, right? Like, no, there's these issues and there's this and this and this, but when asked the question, would you do it again? Absolutely. I don't regret it at all. Me neither. Me neither. Well, it's like, how do you, how do you, how do you take away part of yourself? Yeah, we were definitely under the mindset of, if not us, then who, right? I mean, right. if we didn't do it, you know, who, who else would? Um, so, it, uh, yeah, I do it all over again. And, you know, 
like I said, because I remember when one day, one of the first few weeks of the police academy, one of the instructors asked, like, why are you guys here? Like, why do you want to be cops right now in this, in this time period, in this, you know, state of the way things are? Why? And, you know, obviously there was, you know, standard answers, which there's nothing wrong with me, honest, or my community and, you know, this and that, whatever. And, um, and that's all I said was, well, if not me, then who? Because the class was supposed to have 30 people and there's 14 people. You know, right. so it's like if you know the people aren't willing to step up and do it, then you know, but they have to keep in mind that there's gonna be those issues, you get that stress and there's you know, that's gonna be that trauma and you you have to talk about it, you have to get it out. Um and you know, again, I wouldn't change it. It definitely made me who I am. Well, absolutely. Well, sir, thank you for coming in on short notice. Appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. It was truly a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was no awesome. problem. So, all right, folks, you know when we go up, it comes up on Thursday. Check us out on social media. Be looking for new things. We'll keep that under wraps for now. <laughs> See ya. See ya, guys. <laughs>